When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like, Whatever. Just send me that. Stop. I'll make it sound good. <laughs> now he's editing them in his head. Yeah. <laughs> now that I know I can, it's so Wait, just... and cursing? What? Curse, yeah, yeah, you can curse. Whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Are we recording? We should be. Well, we were. Yeah, we have. Did we get him? <laughs> we weren't. Um, uh, yes, you can. That's a good start. You can curse all you want. Um. Um. um Two ums. It's very well. It's both very liberating to know I can get rid of them, uh, and it also makes me much more aware of trying not to use them. But we'll see how that goes. Anyway, um, you are listening to the movies that made me, the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. illustrious uh, leader, Captain My Captain, Joe Dante. And our guest this week is the very great screenwriter, Daniel Waters, uh, who came to us originally via the now classic film Heathers, uh, went on to write some very wonderful offbeat uh, big studio films like Hudson Hawk, uh, Demolition Man, uh, Batman Returns, um, and uh, has a new TV show in the works. Um, but we're not going to discuss any of that stuff because we don't do that at Trailers from Hell. We don't talk to our guests about their work. We talk to them about the work that made them. So, uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Very nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. And um, in the spirit of uh, making our guests do all the work, um, this week Dan's going to be talking to us uh, about something a little bit different, Um, not necessarily films that formed his... Uh, consciousness as a filmmaker, but rather memorable experiences he had at the movies. Is that a fair summation? Yeah, but I would say that some of the most memorable experiences, in fact, the ones I'll save for last are are absolutely movies that form me as a person, but that's why I remember the actual screenings of them and the viewings of them. I think it's just beyond going past a list of The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. boy, are they great. Like, you know, I went into... Talk about movies that hit me at a certain time, you know. Like, there's when you think about it, there's the movie when you're the day you saw after your dog died, after you touched a girl's knee for the first time, after you were humiliated at the prom and walked into a midnight screening. None of that happened to me, but you know, that's <laughs> are, those are just examples. So, so this isn't just going to be stories about drive-ins. There, there's, there's a couple key drive-ins. Really? Okay. And you, you grew up where again? Unfortunately, could not be less hot drive-in stories, but you know. You're but, from Indiana. Yes, right? from yes. Indiana, yes. What was the name of your local drive-in? Uh, it, was, it was the same as the highway, the US-31. <laughs> <laughs> That's but there, there was a Starlight, L-I-T-E. There was definitely that was one of them. And then they both went to porn like overnight, and it was really sad. You know, I would think there'd be a kind of a, a problem with porn and drive-ins. Because, have you, you never? Know, you can see the screen. Well, no, I, I remember when when movies started to get a little raunchy <laughs> and R-rated. That you know, you'd be driving down the street and you could see the screen with some yes. stuff happening. But porn, I mean, that's there's I, nothing I happening except porn in a that, porn movie. That yeah, started happening I, when I was a teenager, and I, I still remember driving. We didn't really have a lot of drive-ins in Philadelphia. Um, but we would drive to the beach uh, in Jersey in the summer. And I, I do remember sitting in the back of my mom's car at night, maybe coming home from the beach and, and spotting 
um, you know, not just a booby, but just graphic hardcore sex at a drive-in that they just you could just see from the highway. It was crazy. Yeah, it always. Ta- I mean, discovering that one locker room sequence in the Pom Pom Girls is much more exciting than just everything's out in the open right there. Jesus, what's, where's the sense of discovery? You know, and it's a it's a pet peeve of mine that you know if I would. If I had the internet when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have become a writer. I'd still be in my mother's room, like, <laughs> you know, watching God knows what. But um, well, well let, let, let's get into it. Do you, have, do you have them in any order? Do you want to? Kind of I, work? Well, I have them in some sort of order. I'm going to like save the be- the most important screenings for last. Well, but, I'd hope. Yes, you are a but, writer. It's- I mean, I could probably do a 10 most memorable horror film experiences just on horror, but I'm going to try and get them out of the way right away. But, you know, um, I'm always jealous I was never one in one of those first screenings of Psycho because that seems like to be there in those first theatrical experiences must have been amazing. And I did have some great, to me, just generic discoveries of my cousin Kenny bringing me to Halloween for the first time. That mm-hmm. was amazing. My first midnight show of... Um, Dawn of the Dead was a mind blower. But, you know, for the scariest film experience of all time, I have to go to the Bad News Bears. <laughs> and very funny movie, but I was a little kid sitting in the theater, and they showed the trailer before the movie of The Omen. And there's just that scene where the, the nanny has got a noose around her neck and standing on a ledge and says, Damien, you know, I love you, and then this jumps off the thing. You. And this is all for you, yes. And she jumps off. And this is all in the trailer. Right. I remember, yeah. 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 And then Bad News Bear starts and everybody's laughing. And if you pan down the audience, it was just like me just still staring. Like, you know, not not <laughs> able to laugh at all. It's just like I had been scarred for life just because I had came for a comedy and I had this beautiful woman hang herself in front of me. And it was very, very traumatizing. And to segue, I think, into that the top experience was this movie. Unfortunately, the movie is very maligned. It, it was actually a subject of mystery science theater, which you know don't get us don't get either. Yeah, but right. that doesn't mean anything. It, I yeah, know, I know. Yeah. Maligned some well, pretty we good pictures. Yeah. I, I, yes, it's. Har- I'm sure there's a lot of harumping in this room at, <laughs> about mystery science theater. But um, basically, it was it was very young. I it was I was still in Cleveland, so I had to be like six. And I, but I knew enough about – I was media savvy enough to know that the new Saturday morning cartoons were starting. And I was tossing and turning and was like, okay, I'm up a little early, I know. But I'm going to go start to get ready to watch the Saturday morning cartoons. And this movie came on. It was halfway through. It was called Devil Doll. Oh. Not Dead at Night with Michael Redgrave, but another Ventrocus yes. dummy movie. And, and where the – the dummy's got a life of his own, and it was just again with the the hair pinned back to my head that I was just completely. I came for Saturday morning. I came for again came for comedy, and got this. A wooden doll, strangely, terrifyingly human, plaything of the devil, capable of such evil that only a cage can restrain its diabolical desires. It kills on blood-chilling command by thought control. Hugo, she said you were ugly. And, and, and the funny thing is I went back and watched it again, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be so embarrassing. Like, you know, what a kid I was. And then it's still a really a rhythmic and weird and strange and unsettling movie, despite the three robots in front of the, making fun of it. But it was very terrifying. You well, know. you and I want to go back too, because I mean, we're the same age. You you went off and saw The Omen finally, correct? At- I you had a much nicer time getting in R-rated movies than I did. Oh, okay. It was like the Gestapo in South Bend, Indiana. I, I got I got caught sneaking into Manhattan when I was seventeen with a fake beard. <laughs> I mean, but they didn't test. Well, no, okay. Yeah, they. they, they I mean, you didn't check our IDs at all. And you're from, a lumbering Paul Bunyan of a guy. I was very like, I had that. I'm trying to sneak into back roads with Tommy Lee Jones, like you know, <laughs> just like you know, I, I was just easily this pigby. That what we're not letting in. Well, I didn't. I don't know if I've uh, told you this story. I I saw the Omen actually in a drive-in in. Um, uh, Essex, Massachusetts. I was staying with my aunt and uncle for a couple of weeks. They lived there, and somehow I had there had to have been a, there was a novelization. Why do I want to say did David Ward? 
did David S. Ward write the oh, novelization? Oh, Sel- Seltzer. Didn't David, David Seltzer, Seltzer yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. And I, somehow I read the book because, of course, we were all, there was Omen Fever, you know. It was oh, this yeah. film that captured everyone's imagination. Yeah. I remember reading the book and just going, God, I have to see this. And somehow I have no idea how I did it. I talked to my aunt who is a sweet and, and lovely woman and the last person in the world who would even go see a, you know, a, a, an old Boris Karloff film, let alone a movie where, you know, David Hemmings gets his, or uh, David, David, um, Warner. David Warner gets his head cut off uh, and somehow talked her into taking me to see it. I, I think I use, you know, well, it's based on this book. There's the literary merit to, to I don't know how I did, but my yeah. aunt took me to see The Omen and, I, I still I don't know if she's ever forgiven me for the experience, but um. that's that's. I mean, I have a whole thing of novelizations because I couldn't get into R-rated movies, so I read novelizations of R-rated movies obsessively, and always my mind was sure. imagined it even worse than it was. And even when I, I read a review in the South Bend Tribune of this western, The Last Hard Men, and said it should be, mm. it should be. X-rated for violence, so I started imagining these naked cowboys getting their <laughs> genitalia shot out, and like you know, it's just like so. My imagination was always worse, and 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 I had, I read all the no- Omen novelizations. I remember Damien Omen two. I bought Damien Omen two and Barry Manilow's single for Copacabana on the same day, and played the song over and over while I was reading this, and I. <laughs> And I swear, you play Copacabana for me, and it's like, Copa, Copacabana. It's very chilling still. That was a Pavlovian memory. There used to be uh, a company, uh, speaking of novelizations, called Monarch Books. And in the early 60s, they made a deal to put out novelizations of some fairly mundane movies, like Brides of Dracula and Gorgo and Stranglers of Bombay, things like that, and, and Reptilicus. And the, the kicker was there's a novelization of there's a, by a guy named a guy named Dean Owen who was, gets the credit for all these things. I don't know how many people he was, but uh, the thing that was fascinating to us, aside from the fact that these books smelled different than other books uh, and had and had illustrations in them, was that they were completely sexed up. I mean, these were all basically uh, family really? movies. And they added all these sex scenes with all these people. That's and in the Dracula movie for, uh, uh, the book, Van Helsing rapes the heroine, you know, and 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 it's all very graphic. And once it once the group of people, the kids, caught on to the fact that even uh, even if they didn't see the movies, they could get these paperbacks right on the shelf and read all this like Harold oh Robbins my. level stuff. Wow! These things became very popular, and even now there's a subculture of people who collect. These monarch books because they're they because they're just so outrageous, and I think a lot of kids found their first um, introduction into you know written sex uh, in these books. Wow! I'm, just, I'm looking up monarch novelizations to see wow. if I've ever. Well, seen I remember them. that sounds wonderful. The novelization for the Gauntlet was big for me that it was a, such a well-written book and it had so had like all these flashbacks to him losing his virginity and they were so graphic and but really well written and then i saw the movie and it's just pat hingle on a bus like it was just well so and a lot of times those novelizations were written by people who did not see the movie they had only they sent read them the script draft. okay yeah. sent them yeah. a, I mean, sometimes only an outline and they said look we need this out the day that the book the picture comes <laughs> oh, out my. and so they would just go out and, and the guy who did gremlins who was a guy named george guype uh who was quite a good writer uh I, he he really didn't feel there was enough material for him to make a, a whole novel out of. So he invented <laughs> this complex backstory explaining oh where the Gremlins came from. Oh, my God. Uh, which is outer space, by the way. Uh, and, and how they Without got, checking with you. It was fine with me. I mean, I, I, <laughs> if I knew this stuff, I would have put it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, then there's... Yeah, I remember the, the one, uh, the blowout novelization. Um, did you either... And, I remember that. Ends happily. Oh. They end up together at the end of it. Well, oh but, but that also reflects the possibility that at some point they were actually writing weird. scripts yeah. that were intended to end that way. Mm-hmm. And then when the pictures were made, they went, no, 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 we're not going to yeah, we'll do change it differently. That. And then there was the, not quite, it was the National Lampoon put out the Animal House book, which was a sort of large, oh, yeah, large book. thing. It had yeah. tons of oh, scenes yeah. that were yeah. Oh, filmed. lots of pictures that and, were and, and, and yeah, like sort of photo funny versions of scenes that weren't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, those, were, those were great. But we have strayed off the topic. Oh, how, how dare we? How dare we? <laughs> I, just, I, I thought that was the point. I was just <laughs> um, 
Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna segue to since you brought up your grandmother taking you to a movie. I'm aunt, gonna, I'm aunt. gonna well, I'm changing you to grandmother because okay. it's it's true to my life. But um, uh, so again, we're I'm still stuck in this thing where I haven't seen an R-rated movie. But I did get a loophole in that my grandmother wanted to see a sneak preview. There's a sneak preview of the movie, a collection of movie musicals called That's Entertainment. Oh, sure, and. They're sneak previewing that's entertainment at the Scottsdale Mall, which plays uh, plays a big role in in what I'm about to everything I'm about to talk about today. But um... Metro Goldwyn Mayer, producers of the most magnificent movie musicals in all of Hollywood's history, proudly presents the greatest musical of them all. With special appearances by Elizabeth Taylor, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, James Stewart, Debbie Reynolds, Mickey Rooney, Bing Crosby, Liza Minnelli, Donald O'Connor, Peter Lawford, Frank Sinatra, uh, with Judy Garland, I knew Jane Powell, that it was Gable, that you could stay for the next feature, and the feature was Chinatown. And like talk about getting lucky on your first Saturday movie. But so I sat through all these musicals and a terrific movie. That's entertainment. All three of them. Wait, did Not, your grandmother stay? And my grandmother goes, oh, we get to see a free movie? Oh, my gosh. And I'm just like, oh, please, like, you know, no more, no orgies, please, nothing. And, like, you know, and but the great thing is it's Chinatown, and I had this imagination of what adult life should be like. Mm. And, like, God forbid the kids today seen their first R-rated movie on, on you know, on a link. And, you know, they're not going to have – because – I had an adult experience with actual adults and and an actual like you know plots and a story and like so it was like this adult thing's going to be amazing. Because, <laughs> I can't wait because like <laughs> like okay wait a second the, an R rated movie is different than the Poseidon Adventure like you know that this was it was a huge thing for me because it was like adult but not naughty so it was and like my grandmother felt like she hadn't been bamboozled unlike maybe your aunt but you know it was a big one for me. It's yeah. I, I mean, you weren't disappointed at all, though. That you didn't. No, uh, no I yeah. I was you know. I was I was I was a smart kid, and like it was, it was. I didn't want it to be salacious. It was like it was half like you know. This wasn't sneaking the tent. This was like I'm just getting one under my belt. Like you know, like you know, <laughs> just let me see an R-rated movie. And God, I hope there's not too many crazy China people in it. But you know, like you know, <laughs> but, you know still, it was it lived on my expectations. God, that's so. I'm I'm almost envious. <coughs> I can't remember my first R-rated film because it was yeah, you were probably just... nine, and you know something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was very, I was trying to very curated my movie taste. I was put a lot of feelers out. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going with these autobiography things, and um, what's, what's and, next? And I, and I, and I, and I. I know Joe is, wants me to do a drive-in, and this is a very unsalacious drive-in story, but. Um, uh, and oh my God! See, I thought we were all going to share our personal experiences. I didn't know because you know now I'm bringing up the divorce movie. Like, geez, okay, it's, so you're the show, man. We're just here geez, to, and I feel like Garrison. I don't, I don't Keeler, have a, I don't have a divorce story, so I can't <laughs> participate. Well, I mean, it's not my divorce, but uh, um, yeah, I was divorced way back. I was divorced with anyway, um, drive-ins. Uh, so, father, and mother got divorced. Um, we moved to Indiana. Uh, my father was visiting from Indiana. It was our first, like, you know, weekend visit thing. And he takes us to a drive-in. And sitting silently in the car, nobody wants to talk about any big subjects. It's amazing. My brother and sister don't remember any of this. Like, apparently, they were still pre, pre-human brain before, when the divorce thing happened. But I remembered everything. But dead silence in the car. The movie is Take the Money and Run with Woody mm-hmm. Allen. And we, if you think I have an obnoxious laugh, Josh Olson, my, my father was the king. He was the, the ur obnoxious laugh. And it was just, an, oh my God, it's so maudlin all of a sudden. It was an amazing night of cathartic laughter where it was just really, you know, mosquito bites and big time drive-in laughter. And later on, my father announced he was going to marry our stepmother, marry his, marry his girlfriend who was a stepmother. And he took us that night to Monty Python, the Holy Grail. So the, he figured something out. Like I think he, yes, he, 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 knew, he knew like he's going to 
hit the hive of tra- traumas, you know, to, to deliver comedy right afterwards. <laughs> oh, wait, he he told you after the film or before? Before. Before the film. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. hey, hey, I got my got money by the Holy Grail tickets. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I'm being sued for sexual harassment. I'm kidding. Jeez, really, <laughs> just like I feel like I'm hitting balls against the wall. Somehow Dan, Dan, Dan was under the impression that we were all going to bring lists. I thought everybody's going to be no, like, you're, oh, you're, and you're, then. You're the folks of the show. We are just going to stare at you. And then, uh, as you, uh, then Uncle Joey died that day. Um, right? Although I can, I can tell you, you know, I've, I, uh, uh, one, one of my most memorable uh, film-going experiences is not about memorable films, but, but Dan, Dan Waters was there. Um, uh, I had, What year was this? What did, I just should have looked it up, but... I had been. Jeez, who, who didn't forgive the year that movie came out? Two movies. I, I had been uh, uh, plugging along, doing uh, writing straight to video trash, um, Hitman's Run, and On the Border, and uh, uh, Instinct to Kill with Mark Dacascos, that sort of thing, um, and had been banging away at the spec thing for a while, and had uh, written a spec script about. Uh, it was basically an adaptation. Uh, specifically of Richard Lester's Three Musketeers uh, updated to the LAPD, uh, kind of via a Walter Hill sensibility. And it had, uh, my agents were very excited about it, and it went out on a Friday, which is what they used to do. And um, expectations were high for this one, and there was nothing to do. I wasn't going to be able to get any work done. So Dan Waters goes to more movies than any human being alive. What's the most you've ever seen on one Friday? I think I was there with you for... I yeah I, I think I did seven seven was that the below uh, and swept yeah, away day just let's see if I can do it Tuck Everlasting Punch Drunk Love Knock Around Guys White Oleander Below Swept Away and Saint Jerry Seinfeld Comedian <laughs> Wow all in one day um, so I would and join him Wow those were amazing movies sometimes but I remember we were at uh, it was a terrible thing to do. Um, and it was the early days of cell phone and cell phone etiquette, but I, I had my phone on vibe in case anything came through. And, uh, during the banger sisters, uh, I got, I got the call that I ran out to the lobby that, um, Paramount wanted to buy the script. And then at ballistic X versus sever, I found out that they were going to pay me life altering sums of money for it. So, uh, that's literally the only reason I remember that double feature. <laughs> the banger sisters. <laughs> Two deadly agents. Ready. A former FBI agent named Jeremiah X. Sworn enemies. Seven. Are tracking it down. And when the rules change. Positive visual. Take it down. They find that their enemy. The only one they can trust. Let's finish this. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or she, call the police. Or call the police, like <laughs> she should have, exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Everybody had somebody said there's a theory that every movie is somebody's favorite film of all time. And like, That's correct. And somewhere there is a ballistic X versus yes. Sever fan somewhere. Well, I have a lot of people always come up to me and like, oh, Heather's is one of my fav- favorite two movies. And like, I'm just always afraid to ask. Like, <laughs> the second movie, and it's always something like Shag with Phoebe Cates. Like, what? <laughs> not, not Chinatown? <laughs> um, 
All right, we're gonna keep. We're gonna yeah, keep, keep my one keep man rolling. show. Keep rolling, yes. Stop, mom. What's the <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. Um, uh, well, now we will get into again. Again, I feel feel like there's a. Th- I didn't know there's gonna be such a theme of me trying to get in R-rated movies, but but this is slightly sexuality. And, and I do mean slightly. Um, but there was something about – what is it about Jenny Agutter that when she took off her clothes as a young woman, it didn't count as an R rating? Uh, yeah. It was bizarre. <laughs> yes. She had like Logan's this – and Walkabout are both what, GP, I it's believe. It's crazy. And she's – and well, Logan's Run was my – like like coming to see the Bad News Bears and getting the Omen trailer. Um, I came to see a science fiction movie and like – there's a scene where they get wet and cold, and like I, I didn't know people are supposed to take off their clothes when their their clothes are wet. I thought that they should keep them on, but apparently, her and Michael York had a different before Roscoe Lee Brown as a silver robot comes out. But um, I remember the scene quite well. Anyway, she, but it was my first like nude scene on screen, and and you know, and like I said, if I got, you know, if I extrapolated naked cowboys from a review of violent. Westerns that you know you can imagine actually seeing two breasts at the same time was was, <laughs> was pretty pretty amazing for me and and it also was a little science fiction vibe to it and it was it was I was I was in a sexy mood to begin with with Farrah Fawcett getting killed by spears and like so I was down like already but uh, that, that, that was sexy you're saying well yeah because it <laughs> it's got the phallic thing but going. They, oh, yeah and they okay, had the yeah, hot yes. a hot dust coming out of them too like oh boy okay <laughs> I, Ella, I forgot about this um, yes so you know do you remember your first nude scene Josh wow no but I remember I remember my most egregious <laughs> um, my, uh, I, I, in, not, we're not taking personal life. Though. Yeah. Hey, um, my, uh, my father, uh, would take <laughs> Jesus, all manner of, of, uh, inappropriate films. And I remember going, I don't know what the, we, it was a double feature. There was some, I'm, I'm sure kind of domestic release. And then the second film was a Korean film called Korean this is terrible. It was it was an Asian film, so I, I don't recall. It's been a thousand years, and it was called Killer Snakes. Do you know this film, Joe? Vaguely, and <laughs> and my recollection so you is even it's say a, vaguely. Is. It's a young man who works. I, I feel like he's sort of like a janitor at a bordello, and and uh, because none of the prostitutes will will uh, favor him, he starts killing them with snakes. But it was just wall to wall nudity. And uh, I remember on this particular one, we'd watched the first film and we were about 15 minutes into Killer Snakes. And uh, my, my, I'm sure it was actually more her decision than his, but my stepmother took me out of the theater and took me home. And I, I remember being just not traumatized. Your father didn't a, leave with you? No, no, he stayed for the film. I think he stayed for the film. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> wow. That's, well, we walked to the something. theater. It was. <laughs> no, I, this guy's killing girls who won't have sex with them. Snakes. I'm staying. Yeah, take the kid home. I need to see how this ends. Um, I, I don't know if that's true. He may have left too. In, in uh, all, all I know is that I was I was ejected from the theater and had to had to go home. And um, but that that was that was pretty extreme. And I also remember uh, the um, the hookers bathing in McCabe and Mrs. Miller when I was about ten. That was particularly uh, traumatizing in some way. <laughs> But jeez, I have everything pieced out to me so neatly. Um, <laughs> he just got this big morass of morass. Um, uh, all right, I'm I'm moving on. I'm move- oh my god. I, I I thought these stories would blend in. You know, I feel like <laughs> yeah, we're I feel like, it, yes. I feel like I'm spotlight. We're talking me. about reptilicus. You got okay. snakes. You got reptilicus. Yeah. Okay, as as long as it's of the lizard variety, we're going to do good. Um, uh, so I take the public subway. So I, I believe that I never get sick. I, I, I rarely get sick. Rare, you know, rarely get stuffy nose and coughs because I have so much germs in me from taking the subway that there's nothing really <laughs> to, you know, and I've always been uh, whatever the opposite of a hypochondriac or a germ freak. We should be clear in case there's any question. We're recording in the town we all live in, and that is Los Angeles. Uh, Dan, Dan Waters takes public transportation yes. and has for his entire life here in well, Los Angeles. Well, I'm sure, yeah, I'm not the typhoid Danny, but you know, I'm sure. But going back, so but the last time I really remembered I was sick, it was when I was um, a teenager. The last time, I, and it was like a mixture of the flu and something with my eye, and I was just in such utter pain. And 
I was sitting on a couch and kind of like I was just on like on my death couch and NBC showed a movie that I had seen before, Breaking Away. Mm. Um, so I was like, I must have been 17. Um, and Breakaway, Kids, Indiana, Bikes. I'm sure you remember the movie. Of but, course, yeah. But seen it many times. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen it since then because it was such an amazing experience. Again, like, you know, I mean, I like the movie, but it's the experience that I remember of literally being healed by a movie. And, like, just... Like, I, I'm not going to last five minutes. And then by the end of it, you know, pro, you know, my pro-Hoosier blood came in me. And, like, I was completely healthy and healed by the time of the closing credits. So that's one of my most memorable experiences. That's pretty great. The um, uh, Hang on, let me look this up. I'll cut this. Put on a DVD I'm, box cover, you know. You what? Good, uh, cures colds. Cures, yeah, exactly. Hang on, yes. why am I blanking on this name? The, the Sam Neill... Final conflict. Dead calm. No, uh, the one about the satellite. So I was going to tell you just so. so we're oh, the Australian oh, the, movie. The, the, the dish. I'm buying the dish. Thank you. Wow, did I pull that one out? I, speaking of, I mean, this is actually kind of a. Uh, I don't know. Talk about maudlin. Um, oh, jeez. The, the first movie I I watched. I remember on probably it was like September twelfth, September thirteenth of, of two thousand and one, when we're sort of all. Did something happen? Uh, <laughs> your dog. Your dog. <laughs> died? We're all sort of getting back to normal, but but there was kind of you know there was a weird sense in the air of, of just everything's horrible and everything's going to shit, and the whole world was just sort of focused, you know, in, in that way we sort of Americans like do. Sort of like last November. Uh, yeah, exactly. Very much like last <laughs> November, and somehow I don't remember how I I rented it. We used to have these things called video stores. And I, uh, there's a wonderful film starring Sam Neill called The Dish, based on a true story. T minus 25 seconds. We are still go with Apollo 11. On July the 20th, 1969, the world was about to witness the greatest feat in scientific history. This is the incredible true story of what we didn't see. Parks Australia had the only dish on Earth capable of broadcasting the moonwalk. Huh? The moonwalk? Oh. What's it doing in the middle of a sheep paddock? Never had a mission of this importance fallen to a more unlikely group of local officials... ...and engineers. With a few short hours to landing... We feel confident that we have the expertise to complete our role. ...the world riveted to their TVs and immortality within their grasp... You'll be able to hear Armstrong talking to Houston? Just by hitting a couple of buttons there. The unthinkable happened. What's happening? Without power. Control panel's dead. Sorry, folks. Haven't fixed in a jiffy. Without a signal. Let me get this straight. You've lost Apollo 11. Without a clue. It's on its way to the moon. They did what many a seasoned broadcaster might have done. Oh, I'll just have to... Re- reorient the uh how's it going they lied and it's a lovely funny charming wonderful film but it's about the world it was just a great thing to see on like september 12th or 13th of sort of the whole world coming together to watch something on tv that was actually wonderful and positive and healing i remember sort of after the film just feeling like oh my god there's hope for humanity uh and i i ran into sam neill years later at some I like it's some kind of awards thing or something. I just I, I came up to him and I I had to refrain from hugging him, but I told him the story and uh, he was he was very happy to hear that and told me I was not the first person who had that experience. Oh wow! But uh, yeah, right. see, movies I, can heal. That's why we're here. All right. See, that was a good segue. You you, you backed me up there. I like that. <laughs> all right. Now you know Joshua's not going to back me up on this one because this finally moving out of South Bend. I'll I'll drift back there again. But moving out of Indiana. I, my father, the aforementioned take the money and run loving divorced father, he taught at McGill University in Montreal. And I spent no time trying to find a university to go to because this one was free. So I went to Montreal from South Bend, Indiana, Montreal, Cosmopolitan City. Um, And I didn't know that I had to pick my courses like right, like that most people from Canada they only have a three-year program and they have this complicated thing between high school and college that and basically my first year was kind of free like I had to pick all my pick all my um, electives or or my subjects 
And but I didn't know that, and I basically was told to go into a hallway for a half hour and pick all pick pick this pick what I'm going to be studying the entire year. So I noticed there was a film class, and I'm like, what the heck? You know, I, I, I love film. I love movies. I don't really know this guy they're talking about, but the films of Jean-Luc Godard. And I'm like, I'm going to take this course. And it was a very fascinating experience because they were, obviously they knocked me over, like, what the hell is going on right when I first saw them? And they didn't start with Breathless. They threw me in the deep end, like, two or three things she, she uh, knows about her. Like, I mean, La Chinoise. La Chinoise, La Chinoise, right off the bat. Um, and, and we got to, and they, they screened them. We were talking about, then, then, then they would say they had extra screenings during the week if you're not really getting the movie and want another chance to see it. So I made a decision, like, either, it's my first year of college, either I'm going to get drunk, have sex, or I'm going to understand Jean-Luc Godard. <laughs> Unfortunately, I chose number three. Le Vietnam brûlait, moi je hurle Mao Mao. Johnson rigolait, moi je vole Mao Mao. Le Napalm coulait, moi je roule. And so I really got into it. And by the time weekend rolled around, like, I got it. And I felt like I had created another cylinder in my cinematic being. And it, it, you know, it's 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 hit and miss my cylinder, but my art film cylinder, it's something Josh Olson likes to harump about when I bring it up. But um, yeah, but I I felt like I self created it. With weekend was the was the big was when it, I hit some sort of high. Um, and there's still once in a while movies that come along that just like that don't work in the usual way of movies that that we love from trailers from hell. But not that you don't do art films, but um, like, and, and so I would say Weekend was part of this list. And then um, one of my favorite experiences was this Tarkovsky film, Nostalgia. And to talk about Nostalgia is like, is like for, for Tarkovsky fans, is like saying Peggy Sue Got Married is your favorite Coppola <laughs> film. But, but, I, but I worship this movie. And there's a long sequence that I can, I can see Josh Olsen laughing his ass off about where a guy is just basically carrying a candle from one end of a, of a, of a steam bath to another and trying not to take out the light of the candle. And New Beverly packed audience for some reason and I had drank a combination of wine and coffee to make sure I wouldn't fall asleep and it was like Malcolm McDowell and the Clockwork Orange in a good way I was just totally enraptured by this movie and this man's plight with the candle and Josh Olsen is laughing but <laughs> thought I'd just get my art art film out of the way get it out of the way we need not discuss it again that's funny no mine, mine was uh, uh, I took a German film course uh, in college uh, during my brief tenure and it, it primarily because I had just seen the tin drum and was completely mystified by it and the the little blurb for the class said you know we're gonna dive into these movies and you'll come to an understanding of films like the tin drum and so forth and um, it was a phenomenal class it's where I, I learned my love for Werner Herzog and uh, um, we saw other Volker Schlondorf films, but somehow we never actually Watch watched language. the Tin Drum. And <laughs> I have never seen the Tin Drum again. Although I feel like I'm equipped now to go back and kind of grasp what it was about. But um, uh, yeah, you were off doing the French guy. I was doing the Germans. The Germans. Yes. Very good. Now, all right, I'll go back to more meat and potato stuff. But um, uh, yeah, there's a certain actor that this next category belongs to. And um, so a group of my friends, I think it was before I met you. It was definitely before I met you, 1988. Um, we were all excited. Not that excited because the Dirty Harry brand had kind of lost a little bit of its luster. But we're all getting together, going to the Deadpool, one of the later ones. Had a, had a good trailer with Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. You know, we were kind of excited. It's the last one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. In more ways than one. But then yes. we noticed in the newspaper they were having a sneak preview for another movie. And it was a, it was an actor that none of us quite liked. And an ad that looked terrible. The ad was, this movie will blow you out the back of the theater. 
And it's just like, and it's just a big picture of a building. Oh. And like, what the oh. heck? Is, all right. Well, you know, it's playing at the Avco, which is right near the Regent, which is playing the Deadpool. So let's try it. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is Daddy coming home, Sue? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real of power. There is brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. But I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants think, damn it, think. is to be a hero. Where's Hallie? Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. He's inside? Who is he? Who are you then? You have lost troublesome for a security guard. Sorry, wrong guess, huh? Would you like to go for double jeopardy? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy, mother. Being the first audience to see Die Hard is just, you know, is a religious experience because it was such, you know, I mean, I think I think it, you, you can't say it's underrated now, but at the time, at the time, you know, it was so unexpected and yeah. Bruce Willis was so perfect and it was so funny and scary and Alan Rickman had never done anything before and he's like the greatest immediately off the bat yeah. and it was just... And we were just like looking at each other. And I ended up over the, that course of that summer having to pay for people's ticket and saying you had to buy me dinner if you actually liked them because n- none of my friends would see a Bruce Willis movie, none of my other friends. But then they would come back like, all right, we were wrong, man. We were wrong. And then, of course, later that night we ended up the Deadpool, which was like, Oof. you know, going in an autopsy. It was like, you know, it was, <laughs> it was like time expanded where it was just suddenly like it was, it was the. Die Hard has just been the birth of a new action film that again went off the rails in its own way but this was the death of like that glorified Mannix episode action right. film that the Deadpool re- re- represented it's like following up an early Ramon show with uh, a late Mel Torme show or something well like yeah no actually it's funny <laughs> you say that because it was like it was like Going to see a Rye Heap concert and ACDC in their prime opens for them. Yeah. And like, yeah. It's like, it's like, wait a minute. Oh my God. Who are they? And uh, we got to stay for Rye Heap. Like, you know. But um, it's funny that the, the one I saw like that, um, somehow I'd gotten uh, an invitation to a screening before it came out of. Um, uh, it was shortly after Keanu Reeves did Johnny Mnemonic, and it seemed like he was doing yet another oh, uh, Keanu Reeves in the digital future kind of movie. Oh, boy. And good almost example. had a couple of friends. Somehow it was like we realized we could get all three of us in. Something had fallen through. It was almost like, I don't know, we could either just not hang out tonight or uh, we can go see this shitty Keanu Reeves, Johnny Mnemonic sequel or whatever <laughs> it is. And, and of course, it was the Matrix. And, you know, wow, that's a good one. So that's that, that's a great way to see a movie. I yes, think. It's yeah. absolutely the best. I thought it was going to be a car crash. It's going to be alive. Of course, the mirror to Die Hard is unfortunately my experience, where I actually ended up writing a movie. I was say, didn't you write a Bruce Willis? Film I wrote there? a movie with Bruce Willis, and and um, you know, and it, it's developed some sort of cult following in greater parts of Europe and some. Some counties across the the nation um, called Hudson Hawk. Bruce Willis is back in business. Thanks for saving me, tough guy. And business is booming. Another memorable screening. If we're talking about memorable (laughs) screenings, and I, you know, I'm not going to talk about. Try not to. I try not to talk about my own films. I mean, I had some wonderful screenings of Heather's, where people walked in expecting to see a teen film and got something great, or what they thought was great. But the premiere of Hudson Hawk, you just can't imagine what it was like. 
I mean, you probably can't imagine. <laughs> well, you know, because I think, you know, and, and the, the, it was like, you know, because it was at the Man National, again, in Westwood. And it's supposed to be a comedy. I don't think the message got out, but but um, I just remember buying a new Armani suit that fit me and just remembering, like, bubbles of sweat going through three layers and just, like, and being able to feebly say, was that an audience, audience or a Da Vinci oil painting after the movie? <laughs> but but it, was, it was as bad as... I've made some bad movies, but that was as bad a screening as it gets. And then, and I go, okay, maybe it was just a bad audience. I mean, I, I, you know, the writing was slightly on the wall that nobody was getting this movie. But I just remember kneeling in my backyard, praying to God that please get me one good review. And and he ended up giving me something from the Washington Post. But um, but that's one one. <laughs> when I said one good review, I wasn't speaking literally God. But I just remember getting. <laughs> The Janet Maslin New York Times review the next morning after this horrible premiere, mm. and the first line is, "This is one of the special ones." <laughs> it's like this is pretty good. Okay, oh, no. this is the one. This is one they're going to be talking about for a very long, long time. All right, okay. There's some. I'm sensing an aftertaste here, but this <laughs> this may not. This may. This could go either way. But yes, that was a very memorable screening and a memorable morning after, and I hope I never have a memory like that again. But here, you know, here we are a few years later, and the only time I hear Hudson Hawk come up anymore. I mean, Waterworld still gets mentioned as this catastrophe; it's still pointed to, and and uh, um, you know, uh, Ishtar and so forth. Ishtar, but Ishtar's time, got a pretty good. And Ishtar's now. pretty good, I think. No, but, Ishtar has been rehabilitated. Yeah, it's a, it, it, but Ishtar, the only yeah. time I hear people bring up Hudson Hawk now is to talk about how much they love it. It, it seems to only come up in that context. Yes, there's weird. I get a lot of weird people confessing Hudson Hawk things, and like apparently, there's a lot of. I've met a lot of women who, that was their secret film with their father, and like that they, they had a running gags between. I'm not going to read anything into that, but. <laughs> I want to go back, Joe. It occurred to me. Were you? Did you? Um, if it wasn't Psycho, you must have something. I mean, were you, I feel like you were probably at the first screening of Psycho on day one. No, you? I wasn't because, uh, you know, I was just a kid and, and um, I, had, I had the book and I was reading the book and I knew I wanted to see the movie. And a kid at school saw me reading the book and said, oh, that's the one where he turns out to be his mother. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. no. I have one of those stories. I can't even tell it without ruining the book. But you never forget that, do you? No, that's it just, just ruined it for God. me. God. But oh. I did. I did see the movie eventually. Of course, I thought it was great, and it bears numerous repeated viewings. Yes. Um, unlike the remake, which I think one one is enough. Although there are people who uh, disagree. No, that remake is terrible. It's the worst thing ever. It's Julianne Moore wearing a Walkman. It's just so lame. <laughs> it's just like, oh, she's wearing a Walkman. That you did reinvent it. It's pretty amazing. No, but, it's, it's just sort of one of the great pointless movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. He was trying for something. I guess I don't only know, he knows. I don't know yeah, what. But yeah. but what what was your? I mean, you you must have one of those walking into a movie with zero expectations, and it's. Well, I only walked into movies with zero expectations because <laughs> I was only going to the I was only going to low budget, you know, horror pictures and science fiction pictures. I mean, I, I remember walking into a picture called uh, Five Million Years to Earth, uh, which I didn't know anything about, and turned out to be the third of the Quatermass movies. And it was written by Nigel Neal. The original right. title was Quatermass on the Pit. And of course, all of this I found out later. But when I saw the movie when it was new, it, it, the screenplay was so adult and so uh, forward-thinking that it was like, why doesn't anybody know about this picture? And, and it was like the same year as 2001. Right. And it was that, it was that level of script. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was mainly stumbling on gems. I wasn't right. uh, necessarily uh, going into pictures that then suddenly turned out to be Chinatown. I mean, everybody knew Chinatown was going to be did. great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. That's like, this sand picture's got something. <laughs> What else you got, Waters? What else do I got? Well, I thought I'd throw one. Not going to open up the can of worms of the theater I saw it in, but we had a theater out here, the late great Cine family, that had a lot of that was, you know, again, like brought me back to brought a certain side back to me to life that you know I I haven't seen every damn movie that ever has come out, and we discovered a lot of things, and and I had some amazing experiences in the faded movie palace it has now become, but. uh, 
but I have to say my most memorable experience there, and I, you know, I go, I just said I'm going to give a category to Cine Family, give one us one slot, and um, it was Saul Bass's only directorial film, Phase Four. In the next few moments, we will try to give you an impression of a new kind of film experience. If your curiosity is aroused, you are ready for Phase Four. But um, the, the, the man who ran the theater, he had discovered the missing last five minutes. Yes. And um, he had tacked them on. And the, if you've ever seen it, it's a movie about ants. The ants kind of um, make their way across a military laboratory and cause all sorts of craziness. But the last five minutes is what makes it a masterpiece for the ages. And the last five minutes had been what has been suppressed for years. And he had just casually thrown it on. And it was, and it, I think you can actually catch the last five minutes somewhere on the. Uh, it's, on, uh, it's on YouTube. Oh, is it now? But okay. it's photographed okay. off the screen at that screening. Oh, there, yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. See, we got, <clears throat> see, we're, we're getting some magic now. We're, at, we're, at, we're adding to it. We were all that. We're, we're adding there, to the soup. Did you see it? Or? Uh, no, I didn't see it, but yeah, I saw, I've seen it on YouTube. But it, it, yeah, the ending it's... is, in, it, the word mind blowing actually does apply. I yeah. mean, thank you. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's basically like, oh, by the way, the ants that we've implied are aliens. Well, we're, now we're going to prove it by showing you exactly what their plan was. And it's just like these majestic images and architecture and, and acting and like, it's just like, what? This this is what somebody lopped off after test screening Puente Hills and said, that's it. Is yeah. that what happened? Paramount it- Pictures. You know, you're making a movie for a studio like that. They're going to, you're, you're lucky you get to make it in the first place. But then when it turns out that it's too weird, it's like, well, what can we do to save it? Wow. It's all it's all about saving it. It's all yeah. about getting that investment yeah. back. Yeah. And Saul Bass was, you know, I, I, I was a Saul Bass fan from the time I saw his uh, Searching Eye documentary at the New York World's Fair. And, you know, all the, the, title sequences that he had done and yeah. all that I mean he was he was great and I was a huge fan and the fact that he was actually going to make a movie uh, I thought was was really exciting and I was I was there I showed up you know I was there and 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 the movie was really fascinating there's some great uh, uh, microphotography uh, in it and and it was a really interesting plot it was kind of intellectual um, but it wasn't satisfying at the end because it just sort of stopped and then it was years later that I realized that there was more to the movie. Yeah. And I don't think he ever directed another picture after that. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, yeah. That's, it's I like mean, it's I, his Night of the Hunter. Yeah, I wouldn't leave the house if that had happened to me. It, yeah. You know, that's just terrible. I keep waiting for that to get some kind of release. It seems like it's yeah, a, yeah, I mean, everything, a no-brainer for Criterion or someone to, to put it back together. It just needs one more podcast to somebody yes. talk about it, you know, just to push it over the edge, I think. Paramount, restore phase four. Um, well, I can't believe we're down to, we're down to the two core, uh, the two core ones, the ones that made well, me, let's have them. made me who I am today. And, you know, and unfortunately the, the other one, the first one's going to get a little perverted because it's a perverted film. So, but you just have to remember, I saw it when I was really young, I was Sue Lyon's age when I saw it. CBS Late Movie had a weird like you know I had been noted I you know I read TV Guide incessantly and like they would you know say action film action adventure they would say comedy they would say you know a musical this movie Lolita um, had mature erotic <laughs> like like what and you know two words that you know I I had to know I was very young I was like fourteen. But, um, but you know, and I knew something of Lolita. I didn't know. I knew there was something salacious going on. But it was an incredible, and it was just like, and I turned into it late. In fact, I had to, you know, only later did I see the first scene with um, James Mason and Peter Sellers playing ping pong. So I kind of, but it was a strange film because I watched it almost like, like a kid would watch Treasure Island. I was so just enthralled by it and like there's so like if you get past the creepiness of it 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 is it it gets you into a man's brain in such a bizarre way and and there's so many like just 
when you, you know, again, it goes back to not knowing what happens next. It's like, you know, when you, you know, like just him playing with a gun in a bathtub, like everybody, know, everybody sees Lolita like, oh, it's not a movie about a guy who shoots himself in a bathtub. It's about a guy who has sex with a young girl. Come on, that's, that's what Lolita is. And like, and I didn't really know that. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm getting led to. Right, right. And, and Peter Sellers' performance in that film, it, it has it has so no good. peer, and it's not like, oh, he's the villain, right? He's the bad guy, and like it's and even, you know, and you know, I've loved the, I ended up reading the book, obviously, and the, and the movie is in many ways a travesty of the book, and you know, and, as it had to be, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they just wouldn't let him do it, yeah, and but it was such an odd bird. And it's just like in whatever the, the words they use, mature erotic. But I just it just gave me a sense of like it was one of the two movies. The other one I'll save for last, which is not very interesting at all because it was everybody's movie. But um, but this movie is one of the movies that okay, I want to make movies. Right. I, I want to create. I want to create this kind of story that has comedy, drama, and some action, and you don't you know. Just like you know, it's it, the not knowing what happens next took a weird turn for me, like because you know, I had seen already by that time so many other movies that I knew, always knew what happened next. Right, you get took to the patterns. Yeah, the... there was no pattern in Lolita, and especially like cause, especially not in the CBS late movie where it probably was, it took three hours to tell. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> with and all the commercials. The, the, yeah, probably. The, the, yeah, and that, there's something that I I wistfully look back at that there's something underrated about the experience of. Having to watch commercials, like That's having the way we saw a lot of the great having movies. those breaks and like you know, and it's funny you can't even imagine that now. But there is there was a certain weird checking in back into your life rhythm and reality, getting to go to the bathroom and not missing the movie. But like, well, the streaming is coming back to that. I had uh, uh, you know, there's we watch shows on uh, the Apple TV now, and and you get apps um, for various now, and there's shows. That I now watch um, on Apple TV because I missed them when they first ran, you know, on Hulu or what have you. And they do ad breaks, and the difference is, and you know, for 30 years I've been able to fast forward through commercials. And the other night uh, we found ourselves watching something and realizing that, and they tell you up front, there's six commercials coming and there's a timer. And yeah, it was annoying at first, but then I sort of I reconnected with that part of my life that used to sort of. It's like this when you go to the bathroom, this is when you make a yeah, sandwich. I can go feed this, the dog. Can I can, you know. Yeah, exactly. And you come back and there it is. And at least this time now they tell you how long you've got, which is nice. Uh, but I still hate commercials. I, I, well, yeah, and it's it's my when – I, when I have to be the old man for the young people, I'm always, it's always – because they just watch everything, right? Uh, you know, no problems. And I'm like, back in my day, <laughs> if we walked to the bathroom – when the flying monkeys were attacking Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, we'd have to wait another year. That's right. <laughs> see those flying monkeys. And we liked it. <laughs> yes. um, but but back to, I, I discovered Lolita on TV as well. And I, I had that same, because I remember, I remember years later, finally getting to see the beginning and, and being so surprised at how it, how it began. That it began There's a great scene it, in that picture where Peter Sellers does a, a Kubrick impression. Uh, when he's talking to him on the porch, talking mm. to James Mason on the porch. Oh, the, uh, and it's he's just obviously a normal guy. A joke with him, just a normal guy. Yeah, and he's doing that's he's a, doing Kubrick. I'm, so, am I the last person in the world to know that? Because that yeah. is oh, Kubrick is hilarious. Possibly yeah. my favorite no, that's scene voice. in that's any movie. Voice. It's the creepiest, <laughs> funniest, most uncomfortable sequence when. Well, yeah, yeah. that's definitely the one I commune with. See with that girl, yeah. and you're crossing she's just very normal and everything, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, my right, God. Yeah. I, I love it even more now. How did I know that? I'm yeah, so embarrassed. Yeah. I, I host a show about movies. I did not know that. Yeah, he's, <laughs> Well, not he's, next week you won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Next week, someone who's that. actually seen a film. Um, but that that is, I mean, there's, there's just something about the discomfort of that scene that, and, and Sellers is, I don't think he's ever been better in that porch sequence. Well, Tell me something, um, I couldn't help uh, noticing when you checked in tonight, it's uh, part of my job, I notice uh, human individuals, and I notice your face. I said to myself when I saw you, I said, that's a guy with the most normal-looking face I ever saw in my life. That's very nice of you to say, huh? Not a bit, not a bit, it's great to see a normal face, because I'm a normal guy. It'd be great for two normal guys like us to get together and talk about world events, you know, in a normal sort of way. Well, yeah, when you're not hanging, I mean, being there is obviously pretty amazing, but, you know, when you're not, when you're using him as a side dish and, like, Dr. Strangelove, he's four side, three side dishes, like, you know, it's it's the best. 
Um, geez, well now the 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 big one's anticlimactic, but um, but but again, we're going back to the Scottsdale Mall in South Bend, Indiana. Are we, are we I, really doing Star Wars? Oh my God, you know this. You know, no, I don't know. Oh, you blew the whole thing. <laughs> Terrible. It's not Star Wars. It's, oh, okay. It's, it's the other one. But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But, and now Scottsdale Mall is important to me. I lived next, right next to the mall. It was a big field, and I watched the mall be built up. And a movie theater played Jesus Christ Superstar off the bat for four months. So that I well, hate that. Mo- cancels that out. I hate <laughs> I hate that movie so much because, like, I'm waiting for the next movie to come in, and this, like, you know. It took me four months to get banged the drum slowly, you know. Um, but anyway, seriously, dropping seventies movies here. But you know, I could get, I could hear myself, I could hear people being paged in Montgomery Ward from my bedroom window. So I was close to them all. Okay. Wait, let me guess. You know, Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox. Oh, Harry and Walter go to New York. <laughs> Dirty Tingus McGee. <laughs> Reincarnation of Peter Brown. <laughs> Support but, your local sheriff. They only kill their masters. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> this, the could, this could go on forever. Because <laughs> no, I, 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 everybody's like, well, the 70s were obviously the best direct, best years for the history of cinema. And I'm always like, I always have like this go-to list of Culpeper, Cattle Cult, <laughs> Cheyenne Social Club, just to like, you know, just to shut these people. Not that I don't think it's a wonderful time, but, you know, it wasn't because of Zandy's Bride with Gene Hackman. Uh, <laughs> I could go all day with Trump. But again, you had to be there. But I read the book. We all read the book. No, no. <laughs> okay. But Jaws was like, you know, for it was it was for for a teenage kid who, you know, who love movies that it was such an upgrade, you know, and of course the people now go back like, that's the movies are ruined because they all became blockbusters. But it was such an upgrade from everything you'd seen before, as far as commercial filmmaking is concerned. Like, and it was, you know, such a connection with the audience and such a, and, but the most, why, why, why I wait till the end to bring it up, why it's my number one is that that was the movie that I remember Walking out of the Scottsdale Mall Theater into Bresser's Ice Cream, 33 Flavors, and standing there and saying, okay, even if I have to die a homeless man, I am going to go out to Los Angeles and I'm going to make movies somehow. You know, you know. And I didn't know what a gaffer was, but if I had to become a gaffer, I'd become a gaffer. Like, you know, that somehow I'm going to Los Angeles to make movies. And it was such a, you know, and it was such a like, and it's funny because, you know, I have I, my younger brother, who's one and, a half, one and a half years younger. He he didn't see Jaws and Star Wars in the theater because why would you go see a movie during the summer when you could be outside playing? Oh. He he wanted to be a doctor. He said he's going to medical school. Then I did the movie Heather's, and he goes, "Well, I didn't know anybody could do it." And <laughs> and so and he's come out here and like I wrote the movie Heather's. He directed the movie Mean Girls. Like and he basically he's a much highly paid director more than me and you know and, and but I just want everybody to know he didn't see Jaws he didn't see Star Wars and, <laughs> and like, you know, he didn't even want to be in the filmmaking but I it's all I've wanted to do and he's cheating he jumped the line <laughs> he liked fame and the hunger those were his movies oh uh, yeah come on ridiculous uh, can you can you can you get him for the show can you put us in touch with him? Because that would be a great guess. Yeah, it'd be, yeah. The, salute to the fame <laughs> and, and the hunger. And then, then, the he, then he can diss you. <laughs> yeah. And then and the Sasia Kinski films. He's... Um, that's it. That's all you got. Jesus. I, I mean, I, I got... I, 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 I think he did very well. I could go... Dan I could came go, in thinking this was not going to be a full show with just his list. Yeah, so I, got, was... you know, I could go on all day. My brother... Actually, I make fun of my brother, but... Thunderball and You Only Live Twice, a re-release. They, you know, like I said, if you miss movies back then, you never yeah, they, see them again. They released those two together. Our mother yes. dropped us off, and we only knew Roger Moore. We only knew Roger Moore, James Bond, and like Spy Love Me was our James Bond, and Live and Let Die was. But they uh, did that, didn't they do that before? Because I, I saw, or maybe they did. They do that double feature again because those were my first two James Bond films. We're the same age, and well, I, they, I saw Thunderball and You Only Live Twice. Yeah, but they I, were periodically released. Yeah, I feel like it was Man yeah. with the Golden Gun era, actually. But mm-hmm. but 
yeah, those those still blew, blew our minds. Like yeah. it was like, you know, and you know, and I feel like everything has been improved too much as far as cutting action films yes. and like making them sleep. And this was just like, they're big, messy experiences. Nobody really leads with Thunderball and you only live twice, but those are like my favorites because I had these such great memories of like, well, I also, I mean, have you gone back to Thunderball? Because it's it's astonishing to me because I'd never seen anything like that underwater battle. That was the greatest yeah. thing ever, and I must have you know I got I got scuba outfits for my GI Joes, and I just take baths that lasted forever so they could battle because I had seen it. And you watch it now, and that that underwater sequence is so slow and so oh. dull. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the thing. I, <laughs> I yeah, I remember thinking it was, it was exciting thing of the world, and then it's like. The, I, the last time I did say, like, wow, they look really uncomfortable and on top of each other. And, like, there not there a kid swimming in a pool above them? Like, you know, and, yeah, that happens a lot. That's what I'm but always, boy. I'm afraid to sometimes go back to. Yeah, but it worked. It worked. Absolutely. You had to be there. In my day. Yeah. That's, yeah. Pretty soon they're going to be like, you know, so the last Jedi. And I know the effects are silly now, but. <laughs> <laughs> But they never looked very real. Yeah, yeah. We knew that. That was part of the charm. Well, we like not being in the film and having to fight people and having coming out with laser scars. Like we like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, Daniel, thank you for joining us. Uh, you have Jeez. been uh, listening to the Trailers from Hell podcast. We hope you'll join us next week for Dan's brother, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> the Dilettante Cinema. Oh. Um, uh, should probably highlight the fact that you guys actually are very fond of each other. Currently yeah. working together on a project. It's, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 Okay, I got that. Yeah, you know, if I really Usually, hated him, we wouldn't be. There wouldn't be. Usually, bad, but yes. If you really hated him, we wouldn't mention. <laughs> Her name was. Our show was recorded in Hollywood, California, at the crossroads of the world, just down the hall from the offices of Ford Fairlane Private Eye. We are the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.